Well, thank you, Brent Weedy, and welcome to week two of our Advent series. We are borrowing this uh, song from Tom Petty, and we're focusing on the theme of, of Advent, which is the theme of waiting. And waiting is often so difficult. Just as the Old Testament believers waited for the Messiah, we are waiting for the coming again of our Messiah, Jesus. And uh, we're waiting in the midst of this brokenness. Uh, we're, we're waiting for rescue, as we talked about last week, rescue from, uh, from broken leadership. And today, we want to talk about waiting for relief. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, Psalm 13 specifically. And I've asked my friend uh, Greg English to come and to share this psalm with us today. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, this morning, with David the psalmist, we want to look at life from the vantage point of the depths. We want to look at life from the basement. You know, what is it about scary movies that you watch as a child that kind of stay with you as an adult? Uh, you can remember the fear that you felt when you saw a certain scene. For my uh, sister Karen, it's um, the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you remember that scene. Uh, but for me, one of the scariest scenes I, I ever saw was in the classic 1969 version of Charles Portis's novel, True Grit. The hero of the movie is a strange talking girl named Maddie Ross, and at one point in the movie, Maddie shoots a bad guy, and the recoil of the gun causes her to fall backward into an abandoned mine shaft. She lands next to a corpse, and inside the rib cage of the corpse, a bunch of rattlesnakes are hibernating. Um, the snakes eventually get riled up by her fall, and one, in fact, bites her on the hand. And eventually, a fearless, one-eyed U.S. Marshal named Rooster Cogburn, played by John Wayne, swings down on a rope with guns blazing, shooting snakes, and rescuing Maddie. Now, for little Larry, although I don't think I could have articulated it this way at the time, that one scene 
managed to combine some of my greatest fears, darkness, isolation, and above all, rattlesnakes. And yet, I think this backdrop, if, if you'll allow it, this backdrop of this scene from True Grit, it really helps me in some ways to visualize the psalm. David, the author of this six-verse psalm, has spent a lot of time in caves. He's spent a lot of time in the dark. He's spent a lot of time dealing with enemies. And you know, I was, I was studying this passage. I have a lot of great commentaries on the psalms. I love the psalms. And I thought I had discovered most of the important stuff, but I kept reading. And I discovered this paragraph by a, a guy named Derek Kidner. And he, like a lot of commentators, divides Psalm 13 into three pairs. And, uh, and he said this, it's just one little sentence, but he said the motion of these three pairs, verses one and two, three and four, and five and six, the motion of these three pairs of verses, he said, is like climbing up from the depths. And when I read that, I thought, that's it. <laughs> That's the way I want to structure this sermon. I want to almost begin with Matty Ross at the bottom. And, and, and I want us to, through this psalm, move upward. I want us to feel the motion upward. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, and so we begin in the basement. We begin with a, a cry from the depths uh, in verses 1 and 2. A cry from the depths. And as we look at these first, this first pair of verses, I want us to focus on the power of honesty, of being honest with, these, of being honest with God. Because these two verses, as dark and as seemingly hopeless as they are, I think they nevertheless showcase for us the power of honesty. Honesty is powerful with others. Honesty is certainly powerful with God. And so let's look at them again. And notice the punctuation. I don't usually ask you to do that. But notice the punctuation as we look at these two verses again. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Did you notice? No exclamation points. No periods, only Question marks. Deep discouragement makes you question everything, doesn't it? Sometimes even including God. And I'm so glad, friends, that it is not a sin to ask God hard questions. Some of the greatest people in Scripture ask God hard questions. And I, I, I think that's helpful. I was sharing with our prayer partners a few moments ago that uh, wise preachers like to say uh, that when you preach, keep in mind that there's a broken heart in every pew. And, uh, and, and, and aren't you glad, uh, you who are struggling right now, that it is okay to honestly bring our questions to God? I think the psalmist questions mirror our own questions, don't they? Because sometimes when we're in the basement, sometimes when we're in the dark, sometimes when we're uh, with, with Matty Ross at the bottom of the mine shaft, sometimes one of the things that we question is God's timing. I mean, can you think of a more stark opening 
to a psalm than those three words, how long, Lord? That's what we say when we're discouraged, isn't it? We question God's timing. We say to God, Lord, I'd be okay with a 24-hour bug. I'd be okay with a week-long flu. But, but Lord, this season has been going on for so long, and I see no sign of an end. With all due respect, Lord, do you own a watch? Do you have a calendar? Do you have any idea how long I've been suffering? We question God's timing. I think secondly, we question God's compassion. We don't want to. We know we were taught in children's Sunday school to sing Jesus loves me, this I know, but it feels different when you can hear the rattlesnakes, doesn't it? We feel like we've been forgotten by God. We feel almost like God is intentionally avoiding us. Like he's, he's ducking behind the bananas in the produce section. So he won't make eye contact with us. David asked, Lord, why are you hiding your face from me? And because we tend to be people of faith, we want to honor God, revere God, we don't know what to say when it feels like God is hiding from us. David, a deeply faithful person, is deeply honest with God. We question his timing. We question his compassion. We question our stamina, don't we? Because when you're, at, when you're kind of at the bottom of the mine shaft, it, 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 it feels like you can never take a vacation from yourself. It feels like you are chained to yourself. David asked, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? In other words, David's mind is just gripped with this inner restlessness. You ever felt that way? Like life is just this endless loop of negative thoughts? And you wrestle with those thoughts. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up. How long must I wrestle with thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? We question God's timing. We question God's compassion. We question our own stamina to endure. And then we question our future, don't we? We, we wonder how we're going to make it out of this. You know, David doesn't tell us the source of his discouragement. Some scholars think his suffering was physical in nature. He was, he was ill. I wonder if maybe his suffering was not more relational in nature. We know that there was a period in, in, in David's life where he was constantly on the run from King Saul. Saul was his king. He loved Saul. He wanted to serve Saul. But, but Saul was, was a, a troubled and hurting individual, and sometimes people in their pain can have sharp edges. Maybe it was King Saul. Maybe David was struggling with his son Absalom. Absalom was actually attempting to steal the kingdom away from David. Can you imagine how relationally complex that is? Can you imagine what David was saying to his therapist about that? Can you imagine how painful the son you love trying to take everything from you. When I hear these verses, when I try to place myself in David's situation in these first two verses, life feels dark, life smells of death. I can hear the rattlesnake rattle. And yet, as dark as these first two verses are, I think there's something vital about them. 
And I think it's that power of ruthless honesty with God. It's the power of acknowledging where we are. It's the power of the cry from the depths of life. I always love the way that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter five. I almost picture Jesus on a parade float and he's just like throwing out candy, only it's much better, more valuable than candy. He's throwing out all these beatitudes. You're like, oh, you who mourn, hey, you'll be comforted. And you know, you who persecuted, you'll be vindicated. And he just has all these promises for people. But, but I always love the way he begins. Remember how he begins? Blessed are, anybody remember? The poor in spirit. One commentator says the poor in spirit is the opposite of full of self. Jesus blesses us when we are so empty, when our souls are so impoverished, right? And he just throws us this blessing. You know, wouldn't it be a bummer if we could only share happy prayer requests with God? Wouldn't it, a bummer, wouldn't it be a bummer if when we started to share our pain with God, he said, uh-uh, don't bring that negativity here. You know, I only want happy thoughts from you. Wouldn't that be a bummer? But our God welcomes our honesty, which leads to that second level, that second pair of verses as we struggle with life in the depths. And in that second uh, pair of verses, I think what we find there is the search for God's hand. Not just the cry from the depths, but the active search for the hand of God. And this, to me, underscores the power of prayer. Now, you could say, obviously, all six verses are prayer. The first two verses are, are definitely prayer. God is addressed. But, but in verses 1 and 2, it almost feels to me like Maddie in the bottom of the, the mine shaft just going, hello, anybody out there? You know? But, but I feel like in verses 3 and 4, David gets very specific in his prayer. What I love about this is David realizes if he's going to get out of the pit, if he's going to get out of the cave, he's not going to be able to get out in his own strength. He's going to need someone to lift him out. He's going to need someone to rescue him. Right? If, if David wants light in the middle of his darkness, it's going to be God that turns on the light. And I think that's why David is so bold in verse 3. He says to God, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Let me tell you how, how I hear verse three. It's almost like David is saying uh, in the dark, he's saying, Lord, you know I can't see you right now. Everything's dark to me. But even though I can't see you, I know you can see me. So Lord, through the gloom, I'm begging you, Rattle your car keys. Cough, Lord. Turn on that tiny little flashlight on your key ring, Lord. Do something that lets me know you're in the cave with me. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. Have you ever noticed, like when you're in total darkness, just a little bit of light goes a very long way, doesn't it? Charles Spurgeon once said that when David prays, give light to my eyes, essentially what he is saying is, Lord, let the eye of my faith be clear so that I might see God in the dark. I love that. Let the eye of faith be clear that I might see you in the dark. 
That's verse 3. And then David does something in verse 4 that could almost feel manipulative. I don't think it is. But what David does in his prayer in verse 4 is he reminds the all-wise, all-knowing God of the stakes at play. Uh, Listen to this uh, dynamic in verse 4. You know, he says, give light to my eyes. If you don't, God, if you don't give light to my eyes, my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. My enemy will get a a, a penalty for taunting, Lord, if you don't come and rescue me. I think this is key. He says, Lord, if you don't rescue me, our enemies will think they've won. Your enemies, God, will stand over my grave and they'll not only taunt me, they'll taunt you. They'll celebrate my my demise. We can't have that, God, can we? Now, I don't know about you. This verse four feels very nervy to me. it It feels a little bit nervy to pray this way. But have you ever noticed time after time, whether it's Abraham or, or, or Jeremiah or Job or David, people of faith are not afraid to hold God to his promises. What does that mean? I think it means maybe you take that promise from Psalm 23 and, and you say, Lord, I know that you said goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life, but as I look back, I, I'm having a hard time spotting goodness and mercy. So would you, Lord, assure me that goodness and mercy are still following me? Now, it's a fine line. We don't want to manipulate God. But bold prayer asks God boldly for more light. And in the darkness, David is looking for the light switch. He's looking for the presence of God. He wants to hear the voice of God. He wants to see the light of God. He wants to hang on to the promise of God. David, poor in spirit, is honest with God from the depths. He prays boldly for an indication of God's presence. And that's how that second pair of verses end in verse 4. One commentator I read, Walter Brueggemann, says that he believes there's a long gap between the end of verse four and the beginning of verse five. It's almost like David was writing the psalm and he just kind of stopped at verse four and then he came back later after a positive experience with God. We don't know if that's true or not. But I think the way this psalm closes is often missed by many Christians. And that is, the psalm closes, the final pair of verses provide for us an anticipation of the light. It's what I want to call the power of faith. In other words, we move boldly toward whatever glimpse we have of God's presence, God's love, God's truth, God's light. This this time of waiting in the dark for relief brings on this jolt of faith that our God is a God of love. And even though we're not out of the mind shaft yet, we've only seen just a glimpse of light, but we are anticipating that day when we will be in full light. That's what I hear when I read verses five and six. David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices joy in the midst of the cave. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I think David is asking God for enough faith to believe that any flash of light is a promise that more light is on its way. 
David's looking for any crack of daylight, a sign of God's unfailing love. And David is even going so far as to rejoice that that little bit of daylight is promising more light on its way. Football coaches call it running for daylight, right? They tell the running back, you may not have a, 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 you know, a 12-foot hole to run through. It, it may just be a few inches. Run toward that few inches of daylight. I think that's what David is doing. When life is going south, David looks for a little bit of light and runs in that direction. Now, what does that mean practically for you and me? Well, maybe you're in a, a dark place right now, a dark space. But along comes an, a friend of yours, and they offer a word of encouragement. And you thank God that that encouragement comes at just the right time. Sometimes it's a song. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a Christian song. And that song becomes your, your theme song. Right? For, for a whole season, you just play it on repeat. What do they call it, students, that Spotify end of the year thing? Spotify Wrapped, okay, that, that becomes one of your, your top wrapped songs, W-R-A-P, yeah, okay. It just becomes one of your, your top songs because you've been leaning into that song. That song is daylight for you. Sometimes, believe it or not, it's even a sermon, go figure. Um, you know, we pastors have to constantly remind ourselves that every Sunday somebody's coming in with that orange light flashing E on, the, on the, the gas tank. I mean, somebody's coming in just saying, I am completely empty. And sometimes the promise of a sermon gives us enough fuel to keep going. Sometimes it's a Bible verse. It's a promise from Scripture. And you're just saying, Lord, I'm going to hang on to this verse. This verse is my rope. <laughs> This verse, Lord, is how I'm getting out of here. Sometimes it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a big circumstance. Maybe it's a small circumstance. But that circumstance, that activity of God in your life, God doing something cool in your life, is just a reminder that you are not alone and you celebrate God's goodness for that thing that he's done. Some of you have heard me share, we, we, we have in the living room of our house, this ancient uh, sleeper sofa, and uh, it just doesn't want to cooperate anymore. Uh, it, it doesn't want to fold out right. It doesn't, certainly doesn't want to fold up right. And sometimes you fold it out, and then you try to fold it back up, and it won't work. And I remember many years ago, uh, it, the, the sofa was, it's in our living room. It was in this awkward state of unfolding, and we had, you know, company coming over, and uh, it needed to be fixed. Angelita looked at me, and she just said, can you try? I mean, you know, and she said it, you know, because she knows that part of your brain that, that figures things out mechanically was surgically removed in a tragic accident uh, from, my, from my brain uh, when I was just a child. But she was just like, can you try? And I was like, okay, okay, I'll try. I remember later on in the day, uh, I'm the only one in the house, and I remember just saying, God, it would just be so cool if you fix this sofa. And I began to fold it up. I don't think, even think I had a lot of faith, but I just began to fold it up. And that dude folded 
right up. And I don't think we've unfolded it since, by the way. But it, it folded right up. And I, I just, I mean, I was so excited. It's like I was just doing a dance all by myself in the house. I was so fired up. And Jolita came home later that afternoon, and she had this incredulous look in her eye. And she says to me, who fixed the sofa? <laughs> like I had called acne sleeper sofa repair or something. And you know what I answered her? I said, God did. Because that was my only explanation. Now, as we all know, many times God in his sovereignty does not choose to fix the sofa. God has designed life that we do some of our best growing when things are not working, when we're struggling with things that are broken. But there are other times when God does something so cool that you just have to stop and throw a party. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is that so often God begins to turn on the light in the middle of suffering. And in the middle of prayer, something amazing happens. And the, the believer who starts off by praying, Lord, are you going to forget me forever? Ends up being given the gift of spiritual memory. And by the time we get to the end of the prayer, right? Maybe David is meditating on those times when he is a shepherd boy, asked God for help, and God rescued him from the lion, and God rescued him from the bear, and then God rescued him from Goliath. And maybe David is practicing gratitude, and he's trusting in God, and he knows this little glimpse of light is going to grow. And so David can cry out in verse 6, you have been good to me. David has been given just enough faith to know that he won't always be in the bottom of the cave. And so now he's not just looking for daylight, he is running for daylight. And it's this little spiritual miracle. And, and it happens over and over again in the life of faith. Uh, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon a moment ago. He, he, he uses a, a different image, the image of being in a storm. You're tossed about in this storm of discouragement. Your life, like a boat, is just being battered by the waves. And then he says it happens, this little spark of faith. And he says that in that moment, it's kind of like the anchor, and you're hearing the chain rattling as the anchor is going down, and the anchor is stabilizing you. That's Hebrews 6, isn't it, friends? We have this hope in God as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I am praying for those of you who walked in today with your soul's tank on empty, I am praying for those of you who are seasick by the storm that has been raging in your life. I am praying that you will feel that chain rattling, that hope like an anchor. Maybe some of you right now, you are just looking at life from the bottom of the cave. And, and I, I just pray that even now you're sensing God's presence that you're hearing God's cough, that you know that God is with you, and that even now, God is lowering your rope. Your faith in Jesus is kicking in, and that even now, you know, you can say with confidence that your enemy, Satan, will not dance over your grave, because guess what? Jesus has come to conquer your enemy. Jesus has come to defeat your enemies of sin and evil and death. He died that we might be resurrected. 
he died that, that we might know that nothing can separate us from the love of God and that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Lord, for some of us, this psalm, Psalm 13, is something to clip and put in our wallet and to save for a challenging day. But Lord, I know for others who are hearing this message right now, Lord, they are at the bottom and they are wondering, Lord, where are you? (laughs) And Lord, I just pray that your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, illumine in our minds through hearing, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will speak a word of hope, will speak a word of promise. Lord, I pray that even now, through the encouragement, through the means of grace, through scripture, through preaching, through worship, through prayer, through the body of Christ, Lord, that even right now, the light will be coming on for discouraged people. Lord, we trust you. In spite of everything, we trust you. Fill us with hope as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.